Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown, our match day recap after a crazy weekend of action in La Liga. We are now at the stage where we have had 24 weekends on midweek rounds of action. I'm Sam Leverage and I'm joined today by Paco Pollitt. How are you doing, Paco? Uh, hi, guys. Um, well, I'm chugging along. You know, it hasn't really been the best the best weekend with Valencia's defeat, also Levante losing a 20-game unbeaten streak. So overall, a pretty rubbish weekend. But yeah, we have many things to talk about. So I guess uh, the way to go is try to speak as less as possible, as little as possible regarding Valencia and try to speak more about happier topics. Yeah, well, I guess one happy topic we can start with, at least to put off the Valencia conversation, Paco, is Atletico Madrid and their 6-1 win over Sevilla. The first time they've scored six goals at the Metropolitano in front of their fans. They did it against Granada in the behind-closed-door season when they won the league. But this was a special occasion because it was also Diego Simeone's 613th match in charge of Atletico Madrid, which just about puts him ahead of Luis Aragonés, who had 612 over several different spells. Paco, first up, how big an achievement is this for Diego Simeone? Well, obviously, we're talking about possibly uh, Atletico Madrid's biggest or or mightiest uh, coach in, in their whole history, which is actually quite a lot. They are over 100 years. And uh, they've had very, very important managers throughout their history. Obviously, Luis Aragonés was one of the most uh, well-known, and, and he later found success in many other places, in, in, in Valencia, in uh, uh, Betis, obviously in the, in the um, uh, Spanish national side, in the national team. But yeah, Cholo Simeone has made himself, you know, as relevant as Luis even further uh, during his stint as Atletico's coach. Uh, well over past a decade uh, in in Atletico's dugout, and he has you know uh, been able to see the transition between the old um, Vicente Calderón and uh, the current and modern Wanda Metropolitano. So overall, we might be talking about uh, Atletico's best manager uh, ever, and the way to celebrate his his new uh, record was you know possibly the best that he could uh, imagine because nobody. Uh, saw coming that Atleti would, you know, uh, gift their own fans with six goals. It's something that uh, it's not typical of Cholo Simeone. He tends to, you know, favor one nil score lines. But uh, yeah, it was a sweet way to to celebrate. And uh, I guess we should also speak about how 
awful the night was for for Sevilla, which were definitely obliterated 100% against Atleti in, in El Metropolitano. Yeah, and I mean, the six goals I was at the Metropolitano and, and me and the guys around me, after four, we kind of looked at each other like, wow, this is this is a big win for Atleti. We can't quite believe it. Five was, was wow, unbelievable. And six was just like, wait, can somebody pinch me? Am I dreaming? Yeah. Is this actually happening? For Atleti to score six goals and that kind of competition between the forwards as well, not just Memphis Depay, who was a surprise starter and looked excellent, two great goals. Then Alvaro Morata to come on and score two goals himself as well. I mean, that's the, it's a big bonus for Atletico, especially when we look at their rivals in the race for the top four. I mean, mm. Real Sociedad, who had a nil-nil draw against Cadiz on Friday night, that's 265 minutes, I think it is, that they've gone without a goal in La Liga now. How important do you think it is to have those strikers scoring goals for Atletico at this stage of the season? I mean, obviously, it's an important one, but do you think Memphis, Morata have what it takes to get Atleti into the top four and seal that spot? Definitely. I think that Memphis can can add quite a lot of uh, great things to, to Atletico, which have found themselves, you know, in tight spots throughout the season because they weren't able to finish the chances that they generated. In this game, for example, they were clinical in their finishing. I believe they had like eight shots on target and six of them were goals. So in that sense, I think Simeone has many reasons to be happy. The way uh, Memphis has slotted straight into the, the squad has been pretty great. Obviously, I have to speak about the game which Antoine Griezmann had overall. He was he was massive. He was all around the pitch. I think he, he did... He put away, I, I believe, one of his best performances ever for Atletico. Even though he only scored one goal, I think he was he was super productive in every single thing that he did, both defending and attacking. And later, you know, uh, getting Alvaro Morata to to join the party late in the in the second half with two goals, I think it was very important in order to boost his confidence because Atletico are going to need every single uh, one of of their strikers in order to, you know, keep. Uh, chugging along, as I said earlier, in this case, by picking up points, winning games, they have uh, no other distractions at this point. They don't have Europe, they don't have uh, Copa del Rey, so their mission solely should focus nowadays in 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 uh, consolidating that third spot. They have managed to to you know catch up with Real Sociedad, who have been stumbling lately. They stumbled this weekend against uh, Cadiz. They stumbled last week against Valencia, losing away. I don't know. They're finding it tricky to to score. I think that Oyarzabal isn't really up to pace at this point, and they have been finding it very, very tough. Sorloth uh, in the same way. Silva's injury. I don't know. Many different matters which have affected the way uh, Real Sociedad are performing. Whereas for Atletico, you know, they might be possibly at their sweetest moment of the of the season, which has had plenty of ups and downs, disappointments in other competitions, getting knocked out of Copa del Rey, getting knocked out of European competitions. Overall, uh, many disappointing things for fans, but, you know, they have reached this this moment of the, of the league with 14 games to go where I see them as mighty as they used to be. I think Simeone has once again been able to reinvent the wheel with Atletico, and I think that they are my top favourites too to finish in the third place and even, you know, put some pressure in Real Madrid who are sitting in the in the second spot. Well, I think we can kind of diverge from that game and onto another one. If you were colorblind and you tuned in to the, I think it was the sixth, no, it wasn't, it was the early kickoff. But if on Sunday afternoon you were colorblind and you watched Barcelona-Valencia, you could have been forgiven for thinking that you were watching Atletico Madrid with Diego Simeone 
not so long ago, right back. I mean, what did we make off this game from the Barcelona point of view first? I'm sure we can talk about refereeing and penalty decisions yeah. from Valencia a little bit later on. But what did you make of this performance from Barcelona coming just days after they pretty similar to Real Madrid at the Bernabeu and ended up with a win in the Clasico and the Copa del Rey? I think that uh, Barca have suddenly found another another big advantage uh, regarding their own squad and regarding the play style, which has always been, you know, a, a topic of hot debate for for Barca fans and for football fans in our country, because Xavi has always stated that that Barca are, you know, possibly the toughest team to 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 coach because people expect from them not only to win but to win with beautiful football. And actually, Xavi should, you know, take a bit of blame upon his, himself because that was what he did state back in the day when he was a player. And now as a manager, he finally ha is understanding that that kind of pressure, it isn't really easy to 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 undergo. Uh, Guardiola was, was you know, very pressured back in the day to, to do that kind of, you know, uh, magic trick over and over again with, with his Barca. Luis Enrique was in the same uh, tight spot. Valverde also, Tata Martino, all of them. Even Ronald Koeman, but he actually didn't know to play beautiful football and to win games. He didn't know how to do neither of them. Regarding Barca, um, Araujo's red card was, was crucial in my view. Araujo was possibly the brightest spot of, of Barca, both against Real Madrid and against Valencia during the first half. I think he might be, at this point, if not the best defender of the league, one of the top three, definitely. And, you know, his absence in the in the following week is going to be quite uh, noticeable and, 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 and sensible for for uh, Barca. Um, and his, he being sent off, you know, sent Barca into that kind of defensive frenzy in the final minutes where they were, you know, more uh, involved and more worried about not conceding at, and defending all of the chances, shutting all of the doors and all of the paths for Valencia to reaching their own box, rather than actually scoring the second one. And then we could speak about what happened during the, you know, after a penalty uh, because of a handball by Guillamón inside Valencia's box. There was that sort of, you know, Sam, that... Uh, to and fro between Ferran Torres and Ansu Fati. Both of them wanted to uh, take the penalty and ultimately it was it was Ferran and the way he took it was awful. You know, it was f far wide and, and and it didn't even go in, in, in into the go into the goal uh, between the three posts. Uh, Mamar Dasvili only had to look at the ball, you know, just run away far from the post and, and that kind of chance added to the fact that Ansu Fati was immediately subbed like two minutes later by Xavi. I think that Ansu wasn't too happy about the way the game went for him. Um, and we might have, you know, some news regarding him, his attitude, his morale, um, you know, his confidence on the following days because I didn't really see him quite, you know, uh, he wasn't happy, definitely, about the way Barca played the game and, and his own performance. I'm sure Matt Clark won't mind us mentioning this, but he was at the game at Camp Nou and in our group WhatsApp, he put a message for Ran is Valencia's best player, which is unusually controversial for Matt, but he did have one of those games. And Ansu as well. I mean, Ansu, who his kind of biggest contribution to the Clasico when he came on as a sub was to block Frank Kessie's shot and, and stop him from scoring. I mean, it, as one of those Toko and Hugo Duro kind of moments, yeah. and, and Real Madrid fans taking a lot of hope from that. But 
Yeah, Paco, we can't avoid it, can we? That that penalty call, um, was it, 86 minutes, right on the edge of the book. Frank Kiersier kind of sticks his leg out and there's a collision. Nobody can deny there's a collision. Nobody can deny there's contact. And it's a little bit strange to consider that it wasn't given, particularly if you saw the penalty that Sevilla awarded at Atletico, where there was almost no contact. Yeah, in my view, it was a clear penalty. In my view, and I try to be, uh, you know, we can speak about uh, all of the teams in La Liga and we can, you know, have that uh, back and forth, the banter, everything. But whenever I broadcast a game, I try to be as 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 objective and remain as impartial as possible. And I 100% believe it was a penalty. And actually, there was a, 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 like a split second when the 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 referee was you know making the the hand gesture of of going to uh blow the whistle you know about to you know say that it was uh, his call was a penalty but he suddenly stopped and decided that this was a just a corner kick so it, it definitely was controversial obviously valencia are not doing themselves any favors by being so bland in their in their uh complaints because in any under any other circumstance, especially for a team who are now sitting in relegation spots, ninety percent of Valencia players should have been, you know, surrounding the referee and bickering and complaining and and yelling at him uh, for a call which was more than controversial. In my view, it was plain wrong, you know. But Valencia players are so young, are so naive, and so bland, as I said, so uh, unsubstantial that it was very easy for the referee to just change his mind and decide that it was a plain corner kick and, and go on. So, um, yeah, I think that it was a crucial moment of the game. Unfortunately, once again, the, the coin toss went tails for, for Valencia. And I think that they should have, you know, definitely left Cam No with at least one point. I think that Valencia deserved it. They, they you know, were able to bottle Barca into their own box. Uh, in in several uh, moments of the second half, but again, Valencia are also finding it very very tough to score. Actually, in Barajas, three games as a manager, the only goal came after a Zubeldia own goal last week against Real Sociedad. Uh, the rest of the games against Getafe, one nil defeat, no goals in favor, and uh, this weekend against Barca once again, only one shot on target and no goal. So, if you follow that path, it's going to be extremely difficult to to win games and to remain in La Liga. Yeah, it's uh, an uphill battle for Valencia and we'll get into the relegation battle a little bit more in part two. But first, we'll discuss the Sunday night fixture, Real Madrid-Real Betis, a really interesting fixture on paper. And we spoke to Hassan Karim about that one. Well, has a nil-nil draw between Real Madrid and Real Betis. I mean, this was the headline game, but didn't quite live up to to the expectations. I guess the first question is the big one. A nine-point gap from Barcelona, a, a difference that has never been recovered. A team has never thrown away a nine-point lead in La Liga to lose the title. Is the title race over for Real Madrid? I do think that we are very much outside looking in now. I'd be surprised. If we did pull it off, I'd be elated if we pulled it off more so than if we were just marched to it. Um, you know, Barcelona, whilst they are not playing well, are eking out results. Regardless, they didn't play well against Valencia today. They still got the win. 
you know, luck or no luck, regardless, you have to make your own luck. And Real Madrid aren't doing that. They don't look like doing that. Tactically, they're just not looking good enough. And it's it's really frustrating to see, you know, the lack of action from anyone and everyone, you know, in that's not just in the squad, but also, you know, off the, off the pitch with Ancelotti, with... Um, the board as well, not not making the right adjustments to just fix the necessary holes. Uh, the simple fixes, like I previously mentioned, with the Castilla products that could be used and made, uh, could make a difference. We've seen Alvaro Rodriguez already. We need Tobias, Arribas, Nico Paz, all players that can make a difference. Uh, so, yeah, I do think the tight race, by and large, is over. I don't see us stringing the consistency needed to pull this off. I don't see Barca dropping enough points now with, what is it, 14, 13 games to go. Um, so I would say, yeah, they have wild and truly fumbled it. It's silly. It really is silly. Yeah, a little bit silly, perhaps, as you say. But there's a real worry for Real Madrid right now, and that's in front of goal. Two games without a goal for the first time since February 2022. Where is everything going wrong offensively for Los Blancos? Um, I feel that this is an issue in a number of areas. Firstly, being fullback is uh, both sides is is really bad in terms of the offensive output. There's n- no ability to run forward. The delivery is atrociously bad. It's just it's 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 below par, and it has been at least for a couple of seasons now. Um, I also feel that Benzema just isn't quite the races at the moment in terms of his fitness. You can see he looks a bit long, a bit sort of lumbered and and slow and he's kind of just not his usual self he doesn't seem that sharp um i also feel that vinicius is struggling a little bit from a mental capacity at the moment in the sense that he seems uh, i don't want to say the word distracted because at the end of the day racial racial abuse is a horrific thing to deal with in any sense so i can imagine it has taken mental toll on him and he seems to be at war constantly from the lack of protection from the officials i know he is a bit of a protagonist and he wants to be but that needs to be addressed uh, better than it has been so i feel like those factors are a big problem as to why we are blanking considerably um i mean numbers wise it doesn't look that bad because we've got a number of players who are double digits for goals and assists but it just seems against teams that sit in low blocks we just can't seem to create well enough there's nobody that can break the lines that well outside of Vinny, who gets doubled down on so it's like what do you do and one last question before I leave you to go and cry yourself to sleep, Has The substitutions, I mean, you touched on it there. A few players weren't having the best games of their lives. What did you make of Carlo Ancelotti's substitutions? Alvaro Rodriguez coming on for the last few minutes. Again, it's a tactic that we've seen a few times now. Yeah, Ancelotti's substitutions were frustrating. And this hasn't been the first time that we've seen that this season. You know, at the end of the day, you needed to make a difference earlier on. Um you know, Alvaro not coming on earlier than he did, why not? Um, you know, why haven't we why are we seeing too many Ankamavinga stripped off the pitch when they were probably the two best midfielders? Danny Sabas also wasn't that bad, you know, they they probably could have remained. Um it's just it's frustrating. It really is frustrating. Uh Danny Carval coming on to again do practically nothing. And I know Lucas Vasquez wasn't exactly it. a shining light, which goes back to my point. Why aren't we using players like Vinicius Tobias when they are there? ready-made, you know, ready to be utilised. Um, but yeah, the substitutions again, the problem is it's just who is there outside the Castilla players that I've named to utilise. 
Um, the squad needs work. Um, that's the, probably the biggest message here. The board needs basically substituting at this point. It's, it's, it's at that point. They need to start making smarter decisions in terms of bringing difference makers in because it's just there, there isn't enough. What do you do is going to be the question that Carlo Ancelotti will most likely be asking himself over the next couple of days and weeks. Thanks very much, Has Great to have you back with us. And now stay tuned and we'll be back shortly after a quick break for part two. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Welcome back to part two of La Liga Lowdown and our match day 24 recap podcast. We're going to move on to look at the bottom half of La Liga there. There were plenty of interesting fixtures and battles going on this weekend. I don't know about you, Paco, but possibly the one that most caught my eye was Hetafe against Girona. It was 3-2 in the end. Hetafe going 3-0 up in the first 35 minutes, kind of to everybody's shock. And then Girona almost pulling it back. Yeah, I think it was an amazing display by Enes Unal during the, the first half. Um, I believe it's 10 goals already this season, which, you know, if you see that Getafe have only scored, I'm checking out the the stats at this point, but I think that uh, Getafe have only scored 23 this season. So almost 50% of their goals have been scored by Enes Unal, which is super impressive. And, you know, it was only 15 minutes of the first half and they were already 2-0 up. So in that sense, and Bayoral scored in the 43rd. So they had the game under control um, totally. You know, if, if you have bet for any outcome uh, during halftime, nobody would have expected that Girona would, would make a, a, a such a, an impressive comeback. Um, Tati Castellano scored, Miguel Gutierrez scored with 10 minutes to go, and ultimately Getafe were suffering quite a lot in the in the, in the the last few minutes. But... Uh, I think that this win is, is huge for them. And actually, you only have to look at the way Getafe have reacted to their dire straits in the last three three games because they, they beat Valencia at home. Uh, obviously, away from home, away from El Coliseum, they are not as as uh, as powerful. And, and, and we could see that um, in their in their game against Villarreal, they were 1-0 up and they saw how Villarreal overturned the, the score. But yeah, at uh, at home, they have been quite uh, proficient. They beat Girona this weekend. They were able to defeat Valencia. They were able to uh, beat Mallorca, who have been quite, quite you know, impressive this season. 
So, yeah, the only the only path for Getafe to remain in La Liga is to keep as much points as possible uh, without uh, flying away from El Coliseum. And and it was a, a great game to watch, especially from a neutral point of view. Yeah, I mean, Girona, one of those teams that are always great to watch. 38 goals scored, which is third in La Liga, behind only Real Madrid and Barcelona. But 38 goals conceded is the fourth highest in La Liga, behind mm. only Sevilla, Almeria and bottom team Elche, so a real entertaining team to watch. But just on Hedafe back on, I mean, Kike Sanchez-Flores has been under a lot of pressure in the last few weeks. It seems to be every week that we say if they lose this week, he'll be losing his job. I mean, do you think he is the man to, to keep Hedafe up? I mean, they are just outside the relegation zone, but as we speak now, I mean, from Valencia, if we look from Valencia up, only four points separate eight teams in that yeah. battle from Espanyol in 12th down to Valencia in 19th. Is Kike Sanchez-Flores the man to do it? I would say that he is. Obviously, some Getafe fans might believe that he isn't the right man for the job. But, you know, I followed Kike as a manager for the last 20 years. Uh, I obviously watched him playing uh, in the late 80s and, and the and the early 90s as a as an very as a very very impressive right back you know he was one of the one of the most um attacking uh right backs in the whole league and and he was an amazing player and as a manager you know he did great in in getafe back in the day he did great in in valencia for most of his stint over there he did very very well in atletico madrid and you know, after his his few experience outside Spain in the Premier League, and you know, um, he landing back in in Getafe, he did he did things very well last season. Remember that when he came uh, and was appointed as a manager, uh, Getafe were sitting the last in the in the standings. They haven't won a single game, and they were able to come back from that um, point difference, and they were able to you know beat Real Madrid at home, who were unbeatable for most of the time. I don't know. I think that he has plenty of experience to boot. He knows how to, you know, move around in in very dire situations as the one where Getafe are stuck right now. And I think that they are going to save themselves. I think that they are going to avoid relegation because if they keep doing things the way they are, you know, even losing games, they always keep that kind of fighting spirit, which was uh, present back in the day when Jose Bordalas was in charge. And I think that keeping that is going to be one of his biggest assets. So, so yeah, I think that Kike should should remain in Getafe, and I think that they are going to be able to avoid the drop. And another manager who's coming in, I would say, has done an excellent job, is Pablo Machina Elche. They secured a 1-0 win over Mallorca, which had some late controversy there as well. But, I mean, Pablo Machina now, I mean, he took over a team who were already doomed when he arrived. They've now beaten Villarreal. They've beaten Mallorca. I mean, they're not easy games to win, are they? I mean, I think it's too little, too late. But they've definitely improved under Pablo Martin. Yeah, I think that they are going to to get relegated, but they are going to stand uh, and fight as much as they can. And actually, I would, you know, uh, argue that Elche have had very bad luck in 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 single and crucial and pivotal moments of of the games, which have heavily penalized them. You know. And and we we were this close to see just another example of that against Mallorca. You know, uh, Mallorca scored in the ninety fifth minute, I believe. It was uh, uh, you know a goal disallowed by the VAR because of a of a foul by 
Um, I believe it was, I don't know if it was Raillo, I don't remember the player. Pablo Maffeo. Pa Pablo Maffeo, yeah. He was, you know, struggling and, uh, you know, he he delivered like a, a hand slap to an opposite player and, and it was a foul. It was a clear foul. But, you know, the, it was very, very close, a very narrow call for, for Elche. They deserved the three points. I, I think they were much deserved. And as you said, I think it, the, the, the reaction has has come too little too late, maybe too late in the party for them. But I think that they're going to remain, uh, you know, optimistic for most of the remaining games, 14 yet. It's a lot of points. Obviously, the the point difference is is huge. The gap is huge. I believe it's eleven points uh, between the, the the next uh, side, which is uh, I believe it's Valencia, the the second to last. And uh, yeah, I, I think that it's it's quite nice, you know, uh, here uh, you know here and there to see uh, a team who are sitting bottom of the standings, you know, being able to uh, deliver an upset uh, in the way they did against Mallorca. Exactly that. And so we'll move on to one more game then, Paco, a team who have been more than capable of delivering upsets this season, which is Almeria. Last time out, they beat Barcelona and they were incredible in that game. I mean, they looked impressive defensively. They were really clinical in attack. This weekend, they came up against Villarreal, which seems like an easier task, but Villarreal made really light work of Almeria. Yeah, because at the end of the day, Almeria uh, had only won last week against Barca, which was possibly one of the most unexpected wins of the whole season. Um, they had uh, lost against Girona with six goals away from home. They had lost at home against Betis. They had lost away from home against Rayo. They had beaten Espanyol in a you know face-to-face -face duel in the depths of the of the standings. They had managed to pick up a, uh, one point from their visit to to Mestalla. So their their current run wasn't that that impressive. And and obviously playing against Barca isn't really the best, you know, the best way to, to pick up points, but they were able to beat them and suddenly they became super optimistic. But once again, Villarreal, you know, made short work of them, especially in the second half. The first one was quite balanced, but in the moment when Gerard Moreno came into the pitch, the game was super unbalanced from that point onwards. Gerard Moreno, I believe it was the first ball he touched. Uh, he delivered a clinical finish and uh, it was 1-0 up. Then uh, José Luis Morales scored once again, El Comandante, and with those two goals, it was done and dusted for, for Villarreal against Almería. Villarreal, by the way, they needed the win because their current streak was quite awful and they have already you know, uh, been able to string a couple of wins in order to bounce back from those um, four defeats in a row. Villarreal sitting with 37 points in the sixth spot. Uh, they overtook Rayo Vallecano. Whereas for Almería, as I said, their, their run has been quite awful and with 25, they are uh, third to last with the same points as Sevilla and as Getafe. So, as you said earlier, it's going to be possibly the tightest rat race in order to avoid the drop in the last 10 or 15 years. We are talking about teams having to make 40 points ultimately to save themselves from the drop, which is quite amazing, by the way, because I think we can consider Elche as one of the three teams who are going to go down. But the rest, you know, the, the remaining two spots are up for grabs or, you know, everyone trying to avoid uh, falling into the pit. Um, and all of them seem to have life inside them. You know, that's my, my, my general overview is that all of the 
relegation candidates seem to breathe some life into them with, you know, one point picked up here, a big win there, remaining mighty at home, being able to perform, a, you know, parking the bus away on the road and, and picking a, a point. I don't know. All of them have been able to um, generate some kind of positive vibes in the last four or five uh, match days. And that's why if you leave aside possibly Girona and Mallorca who are already in that 30-31 point uh, line of work, from that point downwards, Celta, Valladolid, Cadiz, Getafe, Sevilla, Almeria, obviously Valencia. We're talking about eight teams, as you said. The distance is so narrow that maybe a single point might mark the difference for any of them. And that's why I think that the levels of drama that we're going to see in the remaining 14 games are going to be absolutely off the charts. Exactly that. And Real Valladolid obviously picking up a big win in that battle as well over Espanyol. Yeah. But I think it's going to be an interesting, interesting 14 games of La Liga left ahead of us. I mean, here we are. Who would have imagined at the start of the season that Sevilla and Valencia could be two of the worst position teams to be possibly meeting in Segunda next season? I don't think anyone would have believed that. Absolutely But... no, nobody. And actually, I would say that as big as clubs are both of them, I see far more surprising what is going on over at Sevilla than what is happening to Valencia. You know, I think that you could see coming Valencia's demise and having a very rough season because of just the way they have been managed and dismantled during the last three, four seasons. Whereas for Sevilla, you know, remember at the beginning of the year, they were European contenders. But things have gone all right since game one, since match day one. And they really have been unable to overturn themselves. They are like a turtle upside down, you know, uh, sitting on its shell and being just unable to to turn things around and, and, and get moving. Because uh, as soon as we think that they are, you know, uh, away from danger and, and stringing a couple of wins, they suddenly once again drop in performance and they lose three in a row and they allow six against Atletico. They are such an unreliable side. And I think that Sevillistas might be at this point, you know, just pulling their hairs off because it's a very, very frustrating situation for them. Yeah, and that's exactly the case as we look ahead to the action that's coming up this week. The Champions League without any Spanish involvement this week. Real Madrid are not involved this week and they're the only Spanish team left in that. But on Thursday night, we do have Villarreal in the Conference League up against Anderlecht. Then we have Real Sociedad who take on Roma in the Europa League. And we also have Real Betis who take on Manchester United fresh off of a 7-0 thrashing at Anfield. I'm just going to mention that as many times as I can as a Liverpool fan. And then Sevilla who take on Fenerbahce in the other Spanish involvement in the Europa League. So we'll have all of that and more across our Substack, our Twitter and in our midweek podcast. Make sure you stay tuned for that. Thank you for joining us, Paco. Cheers. Absolutely. And we will be back before you know it, with all the action and the build-up to those Europa League games as well. Thanks for listening. Thank you. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.